Awakening Hope Ministries. So good to be with you guys again. Thank you for having us back. We are, some people take this lightly, we don't. Whenever we have an opportunity to go and preach, whether it's a big crowd, a small crowd, we don't take this lightly. We don't hold back if it's a small crowd. We don't give extra if it's a big crowd. I'm just so thankful whenever we have an opportunity to come together as the body of Christ and talk about Jesus. Amen? We, over the last few weeks, we've had the chance to preach in, in many different places and the places that we're going. So last week we were down by St. Cloud. Today I'm excited to be here with you. But in a couple weeks, we're actually going to be going to Tanzania. And the reason I bring it up is I'm actually asking you for help. We need help because where we're going in Tanzania, this will be our second trip going. We have an invitation from the government of Tanzania to come and minister to their parliament while they're in session. And this place is not only heavily Muslim, but it's heavy witchcraft. And so what I'm asking for you today is would you actually commit to pray for us? I'm not afraid to ask for prayer. Would you commit to pray for my family, pray for us, and pray for the government that they'll have soft hearts and open hearts, ears to hear and hearts to understand when we get there, because there are some Christians in the government, but there's also some people that don't know Jesus. And what I want them to see is not only the truth of God's word, but the power of his spirit to confirm through signs and wonders. Amen? Last October, we had the chance to go to Tanzania and do a crusade, which went great. We also got to minister to a professional soccer team while we were there, who are mostly Muslims. They let us in their soccer stadium. These guys make a lot of money during their practice. It was really crazy to kind of be there. It'd be the equivalent of us going down to the Minnesota Vikings and practicing with them in their stadium. It's kind of cool, but when you're an overweight white guy that doesn't keep up with those young kids that are 100% muscle, it just reveals how out of shape you really are. And so the cool thing was they, they actually stopped their practice at one point, gathered all the coaches, all the team, put them in the center of the field, and they looked at us and said, you have 20 minutes, say whatever you want. If you had 20 minutes to speak to a professional sports team, coaches, players, the whole works, what would you say? What would you say in 20 minutes? You've got their audience, and so we talked to them about Jesus. We gave an invitation to give their lives to Jesus. Several of them got saved right there on the soccer field, but it gets even better. Not that there's anything better than salvation, but you understand what I mean. Because there were people still doing this. I, I don't know about Jesus. I don't know about this whole thing. And so we said, we're going to go around this circle and just pray for you really quick with no translator and just pray for you. We went around the circle, prayed Three of them got miraculously healed right there on the field. Two of them couldn't even practice, and they got healed so they could practice the rest of the day. Amen? God confirms his word with signs and wonders, and as we talked about last time, these things shall follow those who believe. Amen? So the question is, are we believing? So when we march into this government in Tanzania, I'm expecting God to show up. I'm not expecting to show up with some super wise words or convince them through me being super smart or whatever. I walk in there 100% going, Holy Spirit, if you don't show up, we're all going to look like idiots. So please do something today. And he does every time because you can actually count on the Lord to do what he does. And so I'm just asking you, would you pray for us? Not just today, but in the weeks coming, because when we fly over, we're going up against heavy witchcraft, 
other belief systems that are violent towards the Christian faith, let's pray that the government comes to Jesus to change a nation. Amen? So I'm asking you, would you please commit over the next three weeks to just pray for my wife and I and our family and Awakening Hope Ministries? Because wherever you go, the darkness tries to push back. But we all know the truth. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So with that, I want to talk to you a little bit today about an ingredient of faith. What does it actually mean when someone says, well, I have faith? What does that mean? What does it look like? Well, I love 1 Corinthians 13. Y'all have heard it at pretty much every wedding you've ever been at, right? 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. That's my best Dr. Love impression, so it's, it doesn't get any sexier than that. The love chapter. <laughs> that, now you see why my wife married me. With a voice like that, I'm irresistible. The love chapter, the reason it's so powerful is because Paul gives a list of things that equal love. Why did he have to do this? Because we are so boneheaded that we use the word love and think, well, I love you, and then I treat you like total garbage. And really what I'm saying is, I love how you make me feel, and when you stop making me feel good, I stop loving you. I digress. Why does Paul give us the list? He gives us the list because he says, I want you to know what love really is. And if you don't have these ingredients in love, then you don't really have love. So he gives us a whole list that's not even exhaustive about love does not envy, it is not jealous, it is kind, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. And so for us, if we look at each other and say, hey, I love you, and I don't have that fruit, those ingredients, then I don't actually love you. I might use a word, but the fruit is not there. If you're going to bake a cake and you're missing a few of the key ingredients, you don't really have a cake, you have a flat pancake, right? <laughs> I mean, at best, that's what you're going to get is a pancake if you're missing some of the key ingredients. So what is it that makes faith, faith? How do you know when you say, I've got faith, that you actually have faith? What are some of the ingredients that make this what it is? Today, I'm only going to talk about one. And it's not an exhaustive thing here. I'm not saying this is the only ingredient, but I am saying that if you don't have this ingredient, I want to challenge you because it means you probably don't have the faith that you thought you did. In Acts chapter 16, verse 16, it says this, As we were going, this is Paul Silas and his entourage, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And that very hour it came out. Now there's a few things I want to pause here to just talk about. Have you ever... Uh, thought about why it took Paul several days to tell this demon to come out? I mean, seriously, if someone walked in this church and sat on the back row and started manifesting a demon, would you say, oh, let's wait a few days and then we'll take care of it? Or should, maybe we should kind of take care of that right now. Why did Paul wait a few days to cast this thing out? I, I, I'll be honest with you. The answer is, I don't know. 
That's as, it's as simple as that. That's the deepest theological statement I'm going to make all day. I don't know why he waited, but I do know that he did. What drove him to the place of actually casting this thing out? We know that this girl practiced witchcraft. She practiced being a psychic. She had a spirit of divination. So she could say things like, hey, your great-grandpa used to call you Skippy. And people go, no way. How did you know that? My great-grandpa did used to call me Skippy. And then they would use a truth to get you to buy into an entire lie. We have those people today. We call them psychics. Many of them are demonically influenced. Some of them just guess, to be honest with you. But some of them are actually possessed by demonic spirits. And when they begin to have these psychic revelations, they're just listening to demons that have been here since the creation of the earth. So, of course, they know what your great-grandpa called you. And what we need to understand is that anything the devil does is a counterfeit of what God does. That's why the prophetic gifting is very necessary. Because when you have prophetic people fueled by the Holy Spirit, there is nothing the devil has that even compares to this. And so Paul looks around, and this, this girl who is demonically possessed is actually de declaring a little bit of truth. She's saying, hey, these men are from the Lord Most High that come to you to declare to you the way. So why would Paul shut that down? Because he's not going to allow the voice of the enemy to declare a little bit of truth, and then you buy into the entire lie. And Paul eventually said, enough is enough. I'm not going to let this liar, this demon, pretend like it is truth, and I'm going to draw a line to separate that what's fueling this woman is not the Spirit of God, and it's going to come face to face with the Spirit of God that will win 100% of the time. I like to say this, for those of us that are afraid of demonic manifestations, I've never met a demon that didn't come out in the name of Jesus. I've also never met a demon that could cast the Holy Spirit out of you or me. They're just not strong enough. They don't have power because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So Paul finally whips around, looks at this girl and says, come out in the name of Jesus. What drove Paul to finally do this? Well, I think the answer is this. It's the law of persistence. You might think, well, what is that? You see, because this demonic thing persisted, it garnered a result that might not have happened on its own. Are you tracking with me? Now, this is using an, a dark side of the equation to illustrate it, but because this girl kept coming day after day, eventually Paul said, enough is enough. There was an element of persistence where this girl kept coming and Paul finally said, that's it, you're done, come out in Jesus' name. So persistence can garner a result that might not have happened on its own. In other words, persistence changed the course of the future because someone was persistent. Now let's talk about it on the good side. Why don't you turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 18. This is Jesus speaking. He's telling his people the parable, and he says this in verse 1 of chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So in other words, we get a little preview of why Jesus is about to say what he says. He taught a lot of parables. He taught things that were hard for people to believe. They were hard for people to understand. But Jesus gives us this little clip of, I'm about to tell you this parable because I want it to have this result in your heart. 
I'm going to tell you this story, and the, what I want it to produce in you is that you would always pray and not lose heart. Did you know that it's possible to pray empty prayers? And here's what I mean by that. When you stop believing that your prayers actually have an effect, you stop believing that God is actually going to move, and you just pray because it's the polite thing to do. You just spit it out, and there you go. You pray empty prayers. Well, I'm going to pray for this person to be healed, but I don't actually believe that God is going to heal them. I'm going to pray for this to happen, but I don't actually believe God is going to do this. So then we pray even weaker prayers, like, oh God, I guess if it's your will, will you please heal this person? As if to remove all the pressure from our faith. But you need to understand that that's not how Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us to pray, and he's even about to tell us this parable to say, I'm telling you this so that you would always pray and not lose heart that there would be heart and belief behind your prayers as you persistently keep coming. In verse 2, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. I love this parable. It's, it's important that we don't read into every detail and make some super big theological point because Jesus told us the purpose of the parable, right? He told us the purpose of the story is that you would always pray and not lose heart. But I find it interesting the two characters that he chooses to illustrate his point. He chooses a powerful, wicked judge that doesn't care about what people want. He only cares about himself. And then he chose a widow that was basically damaged goods. In their day and age, being a woman, you were already lower on the totem pole, but being a widow meant you were even lower for lots of reasons. One, because if your husband died, it's probably because he was living in sin and God judged him. And now you're a widow that's living in sin and being judged. And it's even harder for you to get a job. It's harder for you to provide. There's no one that probably wants to marry you after this because you're damaged goods. There's all this stuff. And so Jesus chooses someone that is powerless at the bottom of the totem pole and compares it to someone that's powerful and wicked. Why does he choose these people? Because he's going to compare them to us. And so we see here that this woman keeps coming. She comes to the judge and she says, hey, I need justice for this situation. We don't know what situation it is and it doesn't matter because the issue is that she needed to keep coming. And as she comes before the judge, she has no money to offer him. She has no fame to offer him. She's not a very powerful person with great influence. And this judge does not care about her. He doesn't care about justice. So what was the ingredient that got her what she wanted? Was it not persistence? And Jesus is saying, look, this is how you ought to pray. This is how you pray and don't lose heart. You, you pray and you keep praying. Just because it feels like the result isn't happening yet, be like this person. 
And why are we like this widow? Because guess what? When it comes to God, you have no money to offer him that's going to woo him in any direction. You have no fame that's going to impress him. You have no knowledge that he's going to say, wow, I didn't know that, guys. You're right. We have nothing to offer God except our persistence in faith. And God is not a wicked judge because watch what Jesus says. And the Lord says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you the truth, he will answer them speedily. And Jesus says, I'm going to use a lesser example to illustrate a greater example. If the lesser is true, then even so the greater. If a wicked judge will give you what you want, because of your persistence, then how much more a father in heaven, a good, good God who loves you with all of his heart, will he not answer you speedily if you come to him in prayer and faith? And we say, well, logically, I I guess so. Sure, I, I, I think that's the right answer. But then Jesus says, that's not the right question. You see, the next phrase that I'm about to say is the killer point. Because Jesus is saying, look, the thing is, is this lady, she had nothing to offer him. And therefore, the key ingredient that got her what she wanted was persistence. And Jesus says, if a good father hears his children, how much more will he give you? So the question is not whether God will answer you. The question is not whether God loves you. The question is, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? He says this, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You see, the last verse is the fulfillment of the first one. When he says, I'm going to teach you this so that it will have an effect on you to always pray and not lose heart. And then he says, but when I come, will I find that kind of faith on this earth? Could I come to Brainerd, Minnesota, to Cross Lake, Minnesota? Could I walk into this church and find this kind of faith? A person who is praying and not losing heart. Maybe it's been weeks, months, years, and they're still praying with the expectation that God is going to move. Will he find that kind of faith? A persistent faith that says, God, I have nothing else to offer you except I'm going to be persistent in calling upon your name because you're the only one that can bring justice in this situation and I need you to move in my life. Or will he find a bunch of people that prayed a few times and then gave up? Will he find a bunch of people that prayed two or three times and just assumed that because God didn't answer, it wasn't his will? But Jesus tells us this parable so that the effect it has on you and me is not to pray once or twice and then quit or say, I guess it wasn't God's will, but to encourage us to pray and keep praying and not lose heart. And even when it feels like the light at the end of the tunnel is going out and things are getting darker and darker, will he find us praying persistently? Because you and I do not serve a wicked judge. We serve a good, good Father in heaven who loves us. The question is not whether he will answer you. The question is whether you will keep praying. And so we see biblically here how persistence garnered a result that would not have happened on its own. 
had this woman come to the judge and asked once, and he said no. And she came back and he said no. And her friends began to say, you idiot, he's not going to give you what you want. Don't you know the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. But the widow kept coming. She had nothing to offer, but she kept coming. She kept coming. And what changed the course of the future had nothing to do with what she had to offer, but her action in being persistent and not losing heart You see, persistence changes sometimes what was going to happen. Because sometimes no doesn't mean no. Sometimes no means keep pushing, keep pressing, and don't lose heart. Because when we pray with that kind of faith, you're going to see things break through that you would have given up on before. This woman had nothing to offer other than her persistence. And ladies and gentlemen, neither do we. We have nothing to offer the Lord except our faith in Him. I'm not going to be able to offer Him anything other than my obedience and faith. And Jesus asked the question, God will answer you speedily. He's not even going to delay long over you. But the bigger question is, Will my people push through whatever they're facing to keep praying? And we see that if this woman had quit on the first day or the second day or the third day, you might say, how many days did she have to come? The answer is until he said yes. So how many days? You just keep coming. We don't know. You just keep praying. That's the point of the parable because persistence is an ingredient to faith. That's why Jesus says, well, I find this kind of faith, a persistent faith of a person that knows they have no ability to change the course of the future or the outcome of it other than to keep coming in persistence and asking. I'm going to prove it to you again. In the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 46, it says, and they came to Jericho. This is Jesus on his way to the cross. He's going to Jerusalem to be crucified and it says and they came to Jericho this is like Jesus being on his farewell tour he's on his way everyone else thinks he's going to set up his kingdom and be king and kick out Rome and it says as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd followed him Bartimaeus a blind beggar the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside you might say why is this so important Because, let's be honest, we all agree that someone getting healed is important. I think we'd all say, that's a cool thing, that's a big deal, right? Jesus cares about every little detail of your life. He cares about your arthritis, he cares about your cancer, he cares about all the different things. He wants you to be well, right? But Jesus is on his way to die on the cross so we can go to heaven. Which one's a bigger deal? (laughs) He's on a mission here. This is his farewell tour. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. He gets through Jericho. And on his way out of Jericho, on his way to die on the cross to save humanity, this is a big deal, a blind man begins to cry out. And Bartimaeus, a blind man sitting by the roadside, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy upon me. 
And what we see here is a worthless beggar that was sitting on the roadside. He had nothing to offer Jesus. He had nothing to stand up and say, well, Jesus, I'll give you this. If you give me this, I'm a big deal. I'm famous. Instead, what we discover is that this blind man was at the bottom of the totem pole. He was a beggar that was probably blind in their eyes because he was a great sinner and he was being punished for his sin. And he sees, or he doesn't see, he hears that Jesus is walking by him. And he begins to cry out, and he doesn't just say, hey, Jesus, Rabbi. He calls him by a messianic title, and he says, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David. He's saying, I know who you are. I believe that you're, because just so you know, the name Jesus is just a variant of the name Joshua. It's not like there wasn't other people there named Jesus. So he was saying, hey, you, Jesus, the son of David from Nazareth, I know who you are. You're the promised Messiah, and I'm calling upon your name. I can't see you, but I know you're there, and I'm calling on you. I need you because nobody else can help me. And immediately people began to rebuke him. And they said, who are you, you worthless blind man? You just sit there and beg. You want Jesus to come over and make you look good. You want him to come and give you money. Just sit down and shut up. No one cares about you. No one loves you. Stop calling on his name. He has bigger things to do, bigger fish to fry. He's going to hang out with important people, not you. Man, those kinds of voices will kill your prayers, won't they? Have you ever prayed for something where you're like, Lord, I need you to move in this area, and someone full of doubt comes along your side and says, who do you think you are? You think God's going to move for you? I mean, you're not Billy Graham. You're, you're not all these people like Charles Spurgeon and whoever. Who do you think you are? You're just a, all you are is a, sit down and shut up. That person is way more important than you. And it doesn't say they just said, be quiet. It says they rebuked him. That's a strong word where they were insulting the man, saying, you have no business calling on the name of Jesus. Sit down and shut up. You are not important enough to have his attention, you worthless, blind beggar. That's the point in time where most of us quit praying. Because we believe the lies of the crowd. We believe the lies of the people saying, you're a pile of worthlessness. You have nothing to offer. Why would he have any reason to give you his attention even for five minutes? That's the point where we lose heart and then we stop praying. That's the point where we come into alignment with the liars, the satanic voices, the demonic spirits, and the jealous people saying, sit down, shut up. Stop calling on his name. You're here because of your own sin. It's your own fault. You're doomed to this life, and it's all you. Shut up. How many times in your life have you felt God calling you to do something that you felt was out of the ordinary and nobody believed you? And nobody around you thought that you could get there. They'd believe it about anyone else, but not you. Maybe God's called you to write a book, and you're saying, no, no, I, I would write a book, but I'm going to leave that to the professionals. 
And everyone around you confirms that. Yeah, you should. You're not a writing. You're a... You're only. But Bartimaeus does something really impressive to me. No matter how great the crowd was, rebuking him, insulting him, and telling him to be quiet. Instead of caving to them, it says he cried out all the more. And he got even louder. And as the voices that were telling him to sit down, shut up, you worthless piece of garbage, you have nothing to offer, instead of listening to them, he didn't waste his time trying to convince them. He didn't waste his time trying to prove something to them. You know what he did? He called on the only name that could help him instead. And he got louder than the voices rebuking him. And it says he cried out even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me, a sinner. He knew he didn't deserve it, but he knew that the only person that could help him was the promised Messiah, Jesus, son of David. I'm calling upon your name. Everyone else is telling me to shut up. They can't help me. They don't believe in this, but I do. And so I'm calling on your name, not theirs, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy upon me. And then Jesus stopped. He put his mission to the cross on pause for a moment. It's as if Jesus was saying, hey, I hear that voice. I hear that voice calling on my name. And when someone calls on my name, I'm going to stop what I'm doing to listen to them because when my people call on my name in faith and their voice rises above the noise, you have my attention. It says in verse 49, Jesus stopped and he said, call him. They called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? We all know that Jesus already knew what the guy wanted. I mean, even if Jesus wasn't God, it's pretty obvious the guy is blind, right? He's got to have people lead him up there. He's got to have a cane or something to get to Jesus. But he springs up, and people bring him to Jesus, and he's excited. And I want you to get the picture. We just went from everyone telling him to sit down and shut up to now the crowd is silent as Jesus is giving his attention, pushing the pause button on the mission to the cross and saying, you have my attention. I don't think Jesus said, hey, what do you want me to do for you, blind man? I, I don't think he said that because he didn't know what he wanted. This is what I believe Jesus was doing. I think Jesus was saying, hey, you, you called on my name. Now you have my attention. And as you stand before me in the presence of your enemies, everybody that cursed you is going to watch why I move on your behalf. Everybody that spoke against you and called you worthless, they don't have my attention. You do because you called on my name and you didn't quit. So what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. He knew what he wanted. But Jesus said, in the presence of your enemies, I'm going to lift you up. Not because you earned it or deserve it, but because you called on my name and you didn't quit. I don't know if that's hitting anybody else, but I can feel it in my heart. 
You called on my name because you knew I could help you, and you didn't cave in to the rebukes and the curses around you, but you kept calling, and now you're in my presence, and all these people are going to have to watch as I move in your life and not theirs. And they're going to eat their works. And Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way to Jerusalem where he was crucified. You know, one of the fascinating things about this is that Jesus says, what do you want? And Bartimaeus says, I would like to recover my sight. And Jesus credits the miracle to his faith. He says, hey, I did the miracle, but I'm giving the credit to you because of your faith. So let me just ask you the question. What is the ingredient of faith that was bleeding through this story the whole time? Is it not persistence? Is it not the persistence of a person that said, I'm going to call on the name of God and I shall not quit. I am going to pray and believe and I shall not lose heart. And no matter how much the world tries to cave in upon me, I will only focus and call on the name of the God who has the ability to change my circumstances. And Jesus said, hey, because you were persistent and you had the faith to keep calling on my name, that's why you've been made well. Jesus loves everybody. But you're going to discover as you read the Gospels that there's times that Jesus is moved by need and times that he's moved by faith. He didn't heal everybody. Why? I don't know. What I do know is that he didn't. It had nothing to do with an inability to heal everybody, but it had something to do with there were times that Scripture says he took compassion and healed them all, and there were other times he healed someone simply because they had faith. And this is one of those times where it's not that Jesus didn't care about the man, but Jesus stopped, not because the man had a need, but because he had Jesus stopped, not because the man had a need, but because the man had faith. So when the Son of Man comes to Cross Lake Christian Assemblies of God, is he going to find that kind of faith sitting in this room right now? Because you cannot say that you have faith if persistence is not an ingredient in your life. Now here's the good news. If you found yourself quitting and giving up, there's things that you've been praying for and you've just stopped because it hurts too much to keep praying. It hurts too much to keep hoping. It's time to get back up and keep praying. You don't have to earn your way back. You just got to get back up and start calling on the name of Jesus. How many of us in this room have stopped praying things because we've lost heart. And if you were to examine your own heart and say, there's a few things there that died in my heart because it hurt too much to keep praying. I began to believe the world and the curses that they were throwing on me instead of calling on the name of the Father who actually has the ability to change my circumstances. How many of us have prayed and lost heart to the point where we don't even feel like we have a faithful prayer left in us? Here's the good news. 
is that can change in a moment by simply calling on the name of Jesus and praying the prayer like the person that came to Jesus and said, help my unbelief. Lord, I want to believe. Help me. Help me in my unbelief. Did you know that God is excited to answer those prayers? You see, sometimes you're going to discover that God cares about the things you need in your life, but sometimes he's waiting for faith to arrive before he moves on your behalf. Sometimes he's waiting to see, but are they really going to trust me? Are they really going to place their faith in me? Because then I will move, and they will see that I care about every little detail in their life. He's not so big that he doesn't care about you. He created you so he could become one with you and have a real life-giving relationship with you where he can speak to you on a daily basis, where you could feel his presence inside you because you are the temple of God. And so today, I'd like to pray for you that if there's anything in your life that has died because you know I just quit. I didn't want to. I just became weary and I couldn't go anymore. And everyone was telling me to stop and that I wasn't important enough, that I had nothing to offer. And they were telling me, just sit down and shut up. You're not important enough. And you agreed with them and you stopped praying. And today I'd love to pray for you and revive that in your heart. And if today you're saying, but it hurts so much to keep praying, then I'd like to pray some strength in your heart. That as you feel like things are piling on top of you, you would cry out to God even louder. That even when people come and begin to rebuke you, you would stop paying attention to them and begin to call on the name of God. Because just as Bartimaeus could not physically see that Jesus was there, he knew he was and he called upon his name. And you might not be able to physically see Jesus here, but he is here, so let's call upon his name. Let's be a demonstration of faith that he desires because this is how he taught us to pray, to be persistent. And when persistence is in the room, so is faith. Amen? Because faith doesn't quit. It keeps coming. How long do I have to keep coming? I don't know, but you just keep coming. But what if he says no? You just keep coming. But what if it's another no? You just keep coming. But what if it's months? You just keep coming. Because he taught us to pray and not lose hope. And until the answer comes, you just keep praying. Because you and I have a good, good father who will answer us speedily. But what he's looking for is the kind of faith that doesn't quit, that keeps coming. Would you bow your eyes, bow your head, and close your eyes? Thank you, Father. With no looking around, if that's you in this place today, and you just feel like there's something in your heart that has died, and it needs to come to life, and you need it to be stirred up, would you just lift your hand for a moment? I'm not going to even make you come up front. We're just going to pray for you where you are. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else that says, you know what, I just feel like I've lost my way because as I've, I've, I've prayed, I just nothing happened, so I just quit praying. And I want to keep praying, but I, I, I just 
feel like I don't have any strength left, if that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you're in this place and you know what God has called you to do, but you've come into alignment to what the crowd is saying. And they've beaten you down to the point where you, you just don't even know if there's more than what you're facing right now. One more time, would you lift your hand just high enough so I can see it? every head bowed and every eye closed. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment. Father, I ask for your heart to be unveiled and revealed in each one of us. That we might know the fullness, the depth, the height, and the breadth of the love that you have for us. That you would dwell in us to the fullness Father, forgive us for taking our eyes off of you and listening to the critics and the crowd that have done nothing but keep us from calling on your name. Father, for those of us in this room that we just need it stirred up again because we pray and we feel like it gets worse and then we pray and it keeps getting worse and we just feel like there's no strength left to keep praying that maybe this is your will for this to happen. But Lord, stir up in us and renew our strength that we could soar on wings of eagles, that we could run and not grow weary, that we can run and not faint, that we could be your children, strengthened by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and fill us now and give us the faith in Jesus' name to continue to call on your name and never cease calling, that when the world comes and speaks, we would just cry on your name even louder because you alone are God and you alone can help us in our need and in our situation. And Father, I lift their prayers to you now that you would move in their lives in Jesus' name, that you would do mighty miracles, that you would lift them up in the presence of their enemies and say, you have my attention and watch as I answer your prayer while all the haters watch as I move in your life. Father, bring revival to this city, to this nation in Jesus' name. We shall not grow weary. It doesn't matter what the president does because we're calling on your name to move in this nation in Jesus' name, that this nation would repent and come to you and be a light once again to the whole world. Father, we shall not grow weary in praying. We shall not surrender and quit. But we will stand in faith that there is still a God in heaven who is more powerful than any king or president on this planet. And so we call on you to move, to save the babies that are being aborted, to turn the mothers around, to walk out of the clinics. I pray every abortion clinic go bankrupt now in Jesus' name. Lord, drain them of their finances. Father, I pray that you would intersect the ladies going in now to have one, that you would put someone in their path to stop them, that you would save the lives of these children and turn their entire situation around. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, everything the enemy has planned to cause division, I pray that it would fall back on his head and destroy him in Jesus' name. Father, we shall not bow to anything but you. 
We shall not succumb to the division that is trying to be stirred up in this nation. But we call on your name to bring a peace, joy, and revival that can only come from you. So, Father, we lay our desires, our prayers at your feet. And we worship you for you alone are worthy and you alone are God. And that is where our focus shall remain. We shall not glorify the enemy. We shall only glorify you. You're the only name worthy of being spoken on our lips. Jesus, we love you. Father, stir up in our hearts a faith that is persistent and cannot be stopped. Stir up in our hearts a faith that prays without losing heart. Stir up in our hearts a faith that is pleasing to you. That you're excited to come and answer the prayers because people here believe that you still move. Father, I pray for this city that this building would not be empty in the weeks to come, but that you would begin drawing people by the hundreds, that this building wouldn't even be big enough, that people would come here because they know that they need something more, and this is where they come to find it, that they come to find you, Jesus. So I pray that you would stir up in the hearts of the people in this city, that they would come and fill this place with worship and praise that we above all names. We believe. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you mind?